0: When have you seen Solidarity Practice well?
1: Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. I'm Leila Daraby. And I'm Laurie Edelman. For this special
2: episode, we watched the Oscars and asked Sabrina Hersey Issa, what does it really look like to back Black women? Leila, are you binging or cringing this week?
1: I have been binging and I highly recommend the new show on Netflix. In English, it's called Standing Up. In French, it's called Droll, which is the, also the name of the comedy club around which this uh, this series centers. It's from Fanny Herrero, who is the creator of Call My Agent, which we've talked about on this show, or 10%, uh, the show that taught you the, the phrase, et voila, (laughs) Uh, And um, this show is about four aspiring French stand-up comics. And one of the reasons I'm binging it and recommending it this week is because it is a much more nuanced and much more diverse conversation about what's funny, who gets to tell jokes, and the art of comedy in general than the dismal media commentary that we're going to dive into in this episode. So it centers four comics, Nazir, Asiatu, Bling, and Apolline. And just from their names, you can tell they all come from different backgrounds. There's an early plot line uh, where uh, Aisa or Asiatu's uh, nickname uh, tells a joke about her husband. uh, And there's, there's a lot about Uh, sex dynamics, who gets to tell whose story, who gets to make fun of whom, power dynamics. I love it. And there's also a really interesting New York Times profile of the show that we'll link to in the show notes, because one of the really interesting things I found about this show is while it's very progressive and groundbreaking, uh, in the Times interview, some of the actors cited uh, Louis C.K. as one of the their favorite American stand-up comics, because that's one of the most familiar names that has made it over to France, but none of them knew about the controversy surrounding Louis C.K. So I found that uh, upsetting, but also really interesting and maybe a good segue to some of the topics we want to get into, which is what's funny? Does extra context add to Uh, making something funny? Does knowing things about the comics personal lives make things better or worse? It's it's all a mess. But I recommend this show.
2: Yeah, that's really wild. And also points to how cancel culture is not real in terms of how we talk about it. Because so many comedians do have these like huge global followings and You know, maybe in America, we're talking about them being quote unquote canceled and they're literally millionaires who are worshipped around the world. So that's that's really great. I definitely want to check that out. And I am cringing this week and we should have said binge and cringe are now back by popular demand. We tried to see if you all would miss it and you did. (laughs) So I am choosing a pretty messy cringe Because I am determined to give the people what they want. But this week, I am cringing at Ginny Thomas's supremely messy digital footprint. This is the woman who, of course, is famously married to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She left Anita Hill a harassing voicemail years ago demanding an apology. I guess for Anita Hill's being sexually harassed by Ginny's own husband. It's unclear what she wanted the apology for. Now, today, we're all being subjected to her very unfun text messages regarding overthrowing the government, her embrace of the quote-unquote big lie conspiracy, and overall just finding out tons about her role in coziness with right-wing political actors. I also do want to note in my cringe, my cringe is about Jenny Thomas, but I also really dislike the language of mental illness that's being deployed around her in this moment. Like, we do not need to use slurs like bonkers to describe her. There's more than enough already, um, in her own words, to point to the ways in which she's doing things improperly. And I do not think that we need all the gleeful tearing down. It's also very apparent that she uses way too many exclamation points in her texts. And so my message to Jenny Thomas, girl, if you're going to be a messy wifey, don't leave such a messy digital footprint because it will come back to bite you. And my honorary cringe for this week, Layla, I could not go this episode without saying this. the anti-abortion leader who had five fetuses removed from her home girl now who needs to find Jesus? Oh my gosh. what are you doing? And that's my cringe for the week.
1: Yeah I didn't know about that story till you told me and I've done some unfortunate googling ever since but I just want to say that one of the one of the cringiest side effects about being a feminist who works in abortion rights is you have to hear about fetal parts way too much. Yeah.
2: We went through that together and we're forever bonded because of that.
1: Yeah. And and I love that you uh, call out that we should not be using mental health slurs to talk about Jenny Thomas, because that also just lets her off the hook.
2: She's exactly. not crazy. She
1: knows what she's doing. It's intentional and it's hateful. Exactly.
2: And also, there's lots of people who are crazy who don't
1: try to take down the
2: government illegally. So <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> let's give them some credit. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how to segue from that because I want to get off of the mental health speculation and accusations and just say that our our purpose today is to have a conversation that's slightly above that fray. Uh, we we really wanted to talk about the Oscars and shift the conversation from the quote unquote slap heard around the world to really thinking about what was making us cringe about the commentary itself. And so in this episode we are not condoning or condemning any of the actors at the center of this controversy. We are condemning disingenuous feminism and and having a conversation about who should be speaking up now. Whose commentary do we want to hear on what the Oscars have lifted up as important conversations around feminism, racism, entertainment in America. And importantly asking our guests what is the difference between staying silent and stepping aside? And we get, we get into that uh, and more. uh, But I just wanted to say upfront that this is not a defense of Will Smith or Chris Rock, and it is not an investigation into when it's okay to slap people. We really want to have a conversation that shifts the conversation. And I would say the theme of our episode is centering black women.
2: That's right. And we literally have the perfect person to take this journey with she is gorgeous she is wicked smart and hilarious she's a badass she's someone who backs black women every day of her life as an actual tech investor and i can also say on a personal note sabrina has stood up for me she has stood up for black women that i'm in community with when we were in Very difficult spaces, high level tech and activism spaces where maybe we didn't have access to the kind of power platform. And Sabrina really, really supported us. And she also supports this podcast. She was one of our first Patreon supporters. She is somebody who puts money and love where her heart is. And we are so here for it. Please enjoy our conversation with Sabrina Hersey Issa. Sabrina, we are so lucky to have you on our show for this topic because quite succinctly, you are the largest defender of black women that I know publicly, privately, professionally, personally, like this is your bag, your niche, your brand, your everything, in terms of how I experience you. You have certainly supported me as a Black woman, and I've seen you support the community in so many ways. And one of the ways is that you created the Bold Prize, and you did this in 2019, I believe, to specifically lift up and honor Black women leaders. Like, if we see you was a person, it would be you. So we wanted to bring you on to talk about this situation because that is your track record. Um, You're not new to this game. And my question to you, Sabrina, is was the slap for black women?
0: Okay, so first I wanna say thank you, Lori. Thank you, Layla. Thank you for this. Thank you for the space. Thank you for seeing me in, in what I do because I don't do that for, I do it for me because there but for the grace of God go I, right? was the slap for Black women. I don't think it was. I think everybody on that stage was having a personal experience. We were watching Will Smith live out something and they're all interconnected because we're all living through interconnections. But in terms of that slap, no, I actually, I don't think it was. The reason why I was really excited to come and talk about the Oscars moment and and the discourse afterwards is because one of the things, one of the, what I love about what you guys are making with this podcast is, you know, we tend to minimize people's like quote unquote guilty pleasures, consuming popular culture as a guilty pleasure. When there is there's no guilt, there should be no guilt attached to, pop, like culture, cultural moments, experiencing culture, enjoying culture, indulging culture, wanting to talk about culture. So one of the things that I was really excited about I was like, oh, Lori has a space where we can actually like talk about, like talk about this moment that happened in popular culture. And as soon as the quote unquote slap happened, everyone started talking about like deriding hot takes and the fact that people are going to have feelings and opinions about a massive moment in our popular culture that we all witnessed together. Oh, we're not supposed to just talk about that. We're supposed to just like, let that go and not have a discourse together in public about something because leading up to the Oscars, everyone was talking about the just declining viewership. No one is watching it. No one's paying attention. You know, everyone is, um, no, no one's going to movies because of COVID. Um, streaming is taking over everything we are not valuing. And, and so this happens, a real visceral moment happens and we're not supposed to talk about this. <laughs> No, I'm here to talk about this. <laughs> so let's
1: <talk> about it. <laughs> That is exactly why we invited you. We're so lucky to have uh, your takes because I feel like the whole world is full of hot takes right now. That is such a, a helpful framing answer. And I think my question slash apprehension Uh, slash privilege and entering this question, this whole conversation is I'm lucky enough to talk to you and Lori, two black women about this conversation, which is about black women. And my first question is like, are black women's voices maybe the only voices that are important right now? Because uh, I've been trying to follow the guidance of black Twitter to sit this one out and let this conversation take place without the high and mighty feigned shock and horror uh, and condescending commentary that are coming from a lot of people, a lot of white comedians in particular, just acting so shocked when you know their their career and their whole trade is shocked. So that's, I know that's a loaded question, but like, is this a conversation about for and by black women that should mm-hmm. be taking place right now?
0: I think there needs to be conversations that are happen that need to happen. They need to happen on a continuum. Um, what, what has disturbed me and what I worry about is what Bell Helks describes as this move to conflate personalization, like people personalizing this experience and attaching their ego to something that has harmed and continues to harm Black women. And this centering of themselves in experience and in a conversation and in dialogue that we should really be centering Black women. And for me personally, witnessing people who have done and said nothing, like I've literally personally witnessed them Opt out of defending black women suddenly
2: become
0: wow. pacifists <laughs> in the Classic. wake of this. Yeah. Lori, what about you?
2: <laughs> I mean, that totally checks out. It, I mean, especially I have to say, men who maybe like to fancy themselves feminists have been pretty insufferable to me in this dialogue. And I think, yeah, there's definitely something about like, the white women who were like, lock him up. And the white comedians who were like, it's open season on comedians now, how dare you? But like, one of the things that has hit me personally is like men, and I'll be honest, men of color kind of having a reaction that was inconsistent with my lived experience of them, just as you're kind of saying, Sabrina. And I think, you know, one of the reasons this slap was so, so so momentous and was, you know, the slap her around the world is because it involved very famous people, obviously, in a room full of famous people in one of the most broadcast moments. It's a celebrity moment. And we know more about Will and Jada's personal life than we would or should, given the fact that they're strangers. And so one of the things that I've been hearing to your point about ego and projection so much that has just been making me so mad is men bringing in Will and Jada's open marriage and Jada's entanglement situation from last year and making connections to this incident that are totally telling on themselves and just have nothing to do necessarily with the facts as we experienced them. So I'm curious if you have thoughts on that, Sabrina, like how does celebrity play into this and... Maybe people's unhealthy, especially men's unhealthy assumptions about like loyalty and like sexual loyalty, especially. The reason why I think
0: it's so fascinating to watch how people are processing this, and it's why I'm not mad about the hot takes, because people are telling on themselves everywhere, is the fact that so much of this, they are projecting themselves as the the Chris Rock figure and not the Jada figure, and not the Will figure. (laughs) There but for the grace of God go I. Like, I could be the person getting hit. Like, everyone likes to identify with the bullied and not the fact that they could be the bully. When we are minimizing the deep, like, harm that Jada experiences and operating under the assumption that because she's a celebrity, because she's on a public stage, because she has a public profile, that she should just accept and assume you know, these cuts as a part of the doing the job, we're actually negating her right and every other black woman who dares to be a leader, right, to show up at work and be able to leave with her dignity fully intact. And how many times have we just expected people to like shut up and take it and shut up and take it and shut up and take it? And there's only but so much you can do before it starts to weigh on your soul and your spirit. And in a room like that, where she's already one of the very few successful Black women and and also in relationship with another successful Black man, that did not come without a series of like trade-offs and hardships and absorbing harm. Why is it expected for her to carry it and not for Chris Rock to distribute it? say just because he is a comedian does not give him a pass. He is a peer in that space as well. And also with the personalization, like Chris Rock was celebrated in, I think, when did Good Hair documentary come out? In 2009, I think, right? Yeah. I I just remember it was during the Oprah show era. And like, because I love, you know, I'm a Black woman in America. I loved Oprah. And I just remember he, he, like in terms of, again, this bell hooks. Crisis of Personalization, him centering himself in the experience of Black women and hair trauma and hair experiences. He made Black women the butt of the joke of that documentary for most of it. It was like making fun of how much we spend our money on it, how big the hair care industry is. I'm an investor. I invested in Black hair care startups because I know that this comes with such a psychic weight and this is an underserved market that deserves to be cared for. When Chris Rock gets to center himself as, like, you know, a girl dad who cares about this, but also make fun of Black women the entire arc of the mm, movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to say nah, bro. Like, that, that's not it. That is yeah. absolutely not it. And, and it's also uh, missing the point completely, because what that movie really is, if you're centering Black women... and. Layla, I really appreciated you even asking like, where your space needs to be in this conversation. Um, because if black women were centering this conversation that good hair was supposed to be promoting in that documentary, then it would have been talking about the psychic trauma that a lot of us experience with hair and like the way that white supremacist beauty standards has caused us to contort and and fix and, and, and absorb so much um, toxic messaging about our worthiness, and about what, um, about where we get to show up, and why, and and what is professional. The Crown Act, the legislation that made it illegal to not hire black women because of how their hair is presented, only just passed this year. You know, <laughs> these are really real, real things. And so you don't get to trade away your humanity just because you're a celebrity. Black women deserve to be able to fully show up wherever they want to be and leave those spaces with their dignity fully intact.
2: So true. And I I also remember because I went natural with my hair. It must have been 2005. And I love being informed about Chris Rock started the natural hair movement six years later. I mean, that is the narrative that so many people have. And the fact that it it really wasn't that deep. And in fact, there were even some really harmful narratives that were part of that film. It It is really problematic.
1: You were absolutely right. It was 2009. I just looked it It was up. 2009? Okay.
0: Yeah. I, was just, I just remember, I was like, why is Oprah having him on this show? You know, we talk about, you know, in the tech space, which I used work in, we talk about like de-platforming hate speech.
1: Right. Um,
0: you know, because it works. It works when you de-platform a Joe Rogan. Like we just don't give him a platform. He doesn't have anything to say. Um, when I saw Oprah putting on... Chris Rock and I remember it because it was several episodes I remember wondering like why is she giving him that platform like why is she handing him the mic um and it's why you know again something like this happening to Jada Pinkett Smith this woman with this this profile this level of celebrity and attention that she garners like she deserves to be like centered and platformed in her own right with her own language and her own space
1: yeah there's so many things that you said resonate. First of all, can we have a follow-up episode that's just about hair? And I want to know more about oh, these products because yes. another privileged place I sit in with Middle Eastern hair is the runoff of Black women leading the way with curly and textured <laughs> hair products. That <laughs> hey, I will spend all my money on. solidarities. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it, we should, we should uh, fight for um, the the curly tax on the extra, extra product we spend on. 100%. Uh, but I wanted to ask, you touched on so many aspects. Chris Rock is not fully responded he said that he will he mentioned it in his in stand-up but one of the things that people have responded on his behalf was he didn't know about her diagnosis and i've been thinking a lot about that i've been talking to Lori about it we have another friend who's a film critic who today has been tweeting about how uh bruce willis's uh reviewers are going back and looking at how they mocked him uh, and and how his new diagnosis of aphasia might make them relook at at old reviews and and the jokes they found in things that we might now understand to be a medical condition, which strikes me as very similar to GI Jane and uh, alopecia. I think a lot of people in the room didn't get the joke or didn't get the uh, magnitude of Will Smith's reaction of of Jada's grimace because they didn't know about the the diagnosis and in my mind, I'm curious what you both think. It's such a lame excuse to, to say, oh, it is okay to mock someone's appearance because he didn't know. And first of all, do you buy that? And second of all, you know, help me here. What, what else is wrong with that?
0: There is no past given. I mean, it's, um, so it, it's interesting because it's like, um, I learn a lot through, through others, through missteps. I'm, open to letting life be a teacher for me through these experiences. That's what we sign up for when we do life, when we do life in relationships, when we do life um, in community. You expect your community to help make you a sharper, better person. And it's why I believe in centering black women's leadership, because black women are often the first and only ones holding us to the standards of our best selves. When we excuse poor behavior, it is actually practicing of it, not just enabling, but it is not giving that person the opportunity to be the best, better version that this person gets to be. So I know for me, like I have had to learn um, through, like um, this Oscars coda was a really great winner. Like it swept all of the awards. So I, I have alopecia, I have long hair, but I have alopecia patches as well. And that was a whole journey for me. And I also am somebody who identifies as disabled and disabled community and disabled justice has been that language has been a huge part of me learning. So even you, you say, you phrasing as like, is, is it lame? I've learned that like describing something as lame is actually like harmful to disabled people. So I, it's, it's constant. like, we always need to be updating our algorithms, you know, for, that's reflective of the reality that we're living in today. It doesn't excuse, our past behaviors but we can only do better and be better right so for chris rock's fans to g- be giving a pass it's actually um negating chris rock from becoming a better artist because whether or not he knew um he was aware by right. the way there's also lots of reporting that he he knew and there was exchanges about it and that she has expressed like not liking his comments about her appearance before um what they're actually saying is you should just accept the fact that you're the joke to somebody who shouldn't have to accept that he should learn how to make better jokes put that burden back on you know um back on the oppressor and in this dynamic chris rock was the one with the mic he had all the all of the power why are we not holding him accountable for using that power and wielding that power responsibly as an artist with a substantial form and a huge following
2: i think that's really well said and you said something earlier sabrina which is basically like and kind of relates to your point leila about the hair is black women lead whether we choose to or not um for reasons that are in our control or not we are often that you know, canary in the coal mine. And it's to detrimental effect on us, but it also makes us the coolest, most amazing people on the planet. So there's that. But I think that with the question of where is Jada's voice in all of this, what would she have wanted? And sort of by extension, what serves Black women in the moment of the slap and now in the discourse? One thing that has been on my mind a lot is the difference between protectionism and solidarity. I have been struggling with this so much. There's a lot of, I think, attempts. Some of them are cute even at the former, at the protectionism towards Black women. I'm hearing and understanding and learning that Black women have had to go through this or experience this. My first instinct Often as a man, but I think from a lot of different communities, is towards protectionism. Is that solidarity? What are other ways that we can move people towards a more in depth solidarity with Black women?
0: I have a question for your question. When have you seen solidarity practice well?
2: That's a really good question. We had a good conversation with Cecily Bowen earlier in our season about money. And how moving money, and I know this is something you think about a lot too, Sabrina, how just moving money and reparations is one way under capitalism, under the current capitalist system that we have to express solidarity. I hardly think it's the only way, but I think moving money, moving resources and getting out of the way and really listening to what people's goals are and doing good faith behind the scenes, not for glory efforts to Help them reach their goals. Like, I think that is the best um, form of solidarity, whatever that looks like. With this particular incident, just frankly, I do not feel a lot of solidarity. Like, I'm a Black woman with natural hair. I don't feel this discourse is particularly, you know, serving me in terms of how I constantly, day to day, feel ridiculed for my hair appearance. I feel I bear the brunt and I've been bearing the brunt in most rooms at all different hands for respectability, dignity, appearance, like there's a lot of work that happens just by showing up. And I I still don't think there's a discussion around that. I don't even think I'm anywhere close to the person that is the most marginalized or should be the most centered in that conversation. So the fact that even I am not feeling any remnant of solidarity from it is probably a
1: problem. You know, you both just touched on something so interesting that I would love To know if you have a response on it was like what is the difference between silence and stepping out of the way Mm. because that's the piece that i think is not understood solidarity is not speaking up grabbing the mic and overshadowing but it's also not sitting out completely without putting your resources your energy your compassion where your heart is and so i think that's such an interesting frame that you've both touched on that i a lot of people who listen to this podcast could also benefit from an answer.
2: I'm curious what you think, Sabrina. I have one idea.
0: Well, I think that it's interesting because I believe like solidarity is a practice and it's an ethos and it's something that you commit to showing up to again and again and get it iteratively approving over time. What I have seen like with the calls to, you know, protect black women is, is actually like a paternalistic, knee jerk, shallow response to discomfort. I see something, I don't like it, ah, protect it and shut it down. When in reality, I believe that true solidarity that leads to transformative change is something that is done in it with the vision of improving the systems for everyone participating in the system. What, the other part of this that sits uncomfortably for me is that what we're calling a paternalistic knee-jerk response and and like slapping the solidarity label on it and saying this protecting Black women, in reality, it's actually, it's very reductive and it's flattening of our humanity and it's not actually enabling us to be able to fully show up. And it's very performative. You know, it's very kind of like, it's again, like centering the harmer and not the harmed. Um, the, the thing that... I really appreciate when I have seen solidarity practice that I respect, and and it touches on your your question, Layla, is the difference between silence and and stepping back. Or it could also be seen as like what is complicity and what mm-hmm. is operating with quiet intention. And I have seen the like for me, I've experienced um, people who just do something. Good and say, tell nobody. <laughs> you you know, just give your money and say nothing. Like the Mackenzie Scott play of just like, just give money and get, give access, give power, um make it as easy as possible for someone to be able to show up fully in this stage and in, in, in like how we are able to center Black women in that. I, I want to know who is going, what studio is going to fully fund a black woman directed documentary on good hair. You mm-hmm. know, like that 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 remake and um and not call it fucking good hair. Um oh, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> Seriously.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> derivative. Yeah. Um yeah, so that that has been what I've been sitting with. People, people are like, well, what am I supposed to do? And they throw up their uh, hands in the air and they um, you know, feign helplessness. And yeah. I'm like, well, maybe you you there's always something for you to do whether or not you choose to do it is your choice whether or not people are going to see you doing it and give you cookies and claps for doing it you shouldn't be motivated by that you should just do the thing do the thing and maybe tell no one
2: i think that's exactly right i'm so fucking fed up with the virtue signaling the rhetoric the performative nature of things like i i can't it's it's worse than doing nothing And I do think that um, in terms of like the speaking up versus like being silent versus getting out of the way, I really think, and this is something I experience a lot, is there is a lot of banal mediocrity in discussions about racial justice. And one of the things that I wish people would do more is like try harder to be more interesting and creative when it comes to their takes on Racial justice. So, for example, don't just be following along when something really big and obvious happens about racial justice, but pay attention, pick a beat. Um, uh, read up. There's so much going on right now that where a white voice, let's just say, would be really interesting. Um, A white voice for racial justice would be really interesting. There's a reparations commission going on right now in California. There are so many interesting ways to speak up. Um, So a lot of this comes down to like, if you don't have something to say but you still feel like you should or you feel guilty for not having something interesting to say so you say it anyway out of a place of performativity, that's where I just get so frankly bored. Do you want me to like connect some threads here? Please. This yes. is like
0: this is a deep cut, right? <laughs> okay, so, that's what we're here for. I'm, I'm, I'm with friends. I'm so happy. Yes. Um, so we are all suddenly pacifists in the wake of Will Smith smacking Chris. Right. Like, oh no, we do not condone violence. Da, da, da. And when I saw the Academy statement saying we do Ugh. not condone violence, I immediately thought back to Harvey Weinstein and all of like the fawning and celebratory and the people you know saying you know thank you we love you Harvey Obardem is he not married to Penelope Cruz right who it was a Merrimax star um uh, the, the the threads all lead up to the fact that like complicity is a huge part of the Hollywood celebrity culture machine sitting behind over the shoulder of will Smith was Lupita and I remembered in 2017 she penned a op-ed in the New York Times talking about her experience with Harvey Weinstein and she had this beautiful phrase where she said you know I didn't I felt sick to my stomach I did not want I'm, I I just knew I was I'm paraphrasing obviously I did not. I knew I did not want to be around this person again. I committed myself to never being around this person again. And I never said anything because everyone else seemed to be fine with it. And it was never okay. And this is, again, like a black woman watching somebody who has enormous – who is a power center in the Hollywood, you know, ecosystem – Doing the calculus of understanding her place in this ecosystem, protecting herself because she saw no one else in the system looking out and protecting her or women like her. So when we talk about not condoning violence, that is actually what we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about the lions that are among us and not the mice that are tired of getting stepped on.
2: Mm, Mic drop. So good. We're going to move you, Sabrina, to... Some quick wrap-up okay. elements. So this is a segment that we're going to call Take Test. So we're going to read you a tweet or a take. And we want you to tell us, would you would you cringe it or would you binge it? So, Ooh, okay. Does this take make you cringe or binge? You want to binge more? Um, Okay, first one, Wanda Sykes said on Ellen that she, Regina, and Amy deserve apologies and that Will Smith should have been escorted out after the slap
0: so did you know that wanda spice helped um chris rock was she was a writer on the chris rock show and hbo like
2: i did not he know he helped that. her get
0: her start so that's loyalty that's writing for your person yes
2: that's, that's real and
0: um i don't know i don't i don't think i think you're, you're you're signing up to be a host of a show you're part of this like rolling with what comes so
1: yeah also worth noting she wrote for roseanne oh i didn't yeah. know
0: that Huh? Which which iteration of Roseanne? First one or second one?
1: No, the second one, and then she got a lot of fanfare. Oh, shout out to my friend Tamani Green. I get I follow um, all of her Facebook takes, and she oh. was she likes to re up early takes when they come back into the news. <laughs> and so Tamani was saying, "I've told you about Wanda. Everyone was giving her all these accolades for resigning from Roseanne when Roseanne like really went over the edge. Mm. But why did she sign up in the first place? <sighs> Let's not give her the credit. Interesting." Layla, do you want to do the next one? Hot take number two, Jim Carrey adding his opinion because nobody asked for it uh, and is sickened. He's sickened. Also,
0: you know, Chris Rock and Jim Carrey go back to the In Living Color days.
1: Oh, wow. Yes.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is your mind? (laughs) Is it a map? I want want to follow it. (laughs) Okay, here's a tweet from Crystal Fleming, who's like an academic. I thought the academic takes were a little interesting. This was a tweet where she said, sociologically, it doesn't matter whether you would want to be defended the way Will defended Jada. What matters is that we've never seen anyone publicly defend a Black woman the way Will defended Jada. The slap was therefore a singular and unprecedented event in modern history. I will say that does resonate.
0: Part of the discomfort we're sitting with is we're not used to having Black women's humanity be publicly defended. We are also coming off the heels of the Ketanji Brown-Jackson confirmation hearings where Cory Booker had to come in hard in the paint because no other Democrat was really showing up to do it.
1: Right. Okay. Next tweet from Dr. Brian Leva: quote, white people often show outrage when Black people do quote unquote bad things but they are often silent when at white people and the systems they've built, which are steeped in white supremacy, do bad things to black people.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I binges? Is this what I'm saying? I'm Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. what I was talking about with the Harvey Weinstein complicity. It's like, oh,
1: it's cool when it's your
2: people. Yeah. And that's been Take Test.
1: Yes, <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now it's time for our cringe fire. And since we're talking about the Oscars this week, don't feel like you're chained to TV. Your answers could be filmed. First cringe fire
2: are you binging anything else right now
0: you know it's funny um and it it links back to cringe watchers um is uh i just finished season 2 of ted lasso and i was holding it for a while and i was like i have to like wait until i finish some big project until i let myself in but lori you had a spoiler in one of your texts to me when you Shit. sent out the the thing i was like no
1: the title is a spoiler no <laughs> Yeah. We try
2: so hard not to do that. And that one I was like, ah, who could care? And then oh,
1: I cared. I cared. I you know, ruined I only just finished you.
0: watching season two of Ted Lasso. And it was okay. it was so good.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: Well, now you you can you should listen to Cecily's take. Um, and also you can hear people groan in the audience because even people at the live show were like, Yes, just we showed up, but you spoiled. <laughs> they hated us. Society. They hated us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is something in the world or society that you're finding super cringy at the moment? I cannot with the rush to
0: return back to normal i can't like i can't with the not acknowledging the trauma that we've lived and experienced that we're still living and experience and then the attempting to interact and engage with people without really acknowledging their what they that they are different people than they were two years ago um And the dissonance that we're fucking like, I'm sorry, again, am I allowed to cuss on your? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The the dissonance that we're, we're, we're trying to force each other to swallow that like everything's normal and nothing is normal.
2: That's such a good answer. And actually, I was impressed. Wesley Morris was one of the few critics who actually connected COVID to the slap and was like, we're all messed up right now um, and that's that has to be at least part of this conversation so I appreciated that from him. Can I add, I know this is
0: supposed to be a rapid file, one of the things that I as a black woman, like I've really enjoyed this, these two years of like living in a smaller world because it has been a safer world mm. for, for me and in a world that I've enjoyed and it's been more peaceful so now going, and when I when we, when we talk about going back out here in these streets and I see queens like Jada Pinkett Smith not being able to get basic respect I've not rushed I'm not inclined to want to rejoin this
2: I totally agree and um talk about Zoe Kravitz which we didn't but um she she did a movie about um, being an agoraphobe and having that happen been exacerbated from COVID. And that really resonated. I, I wouldn't identify as an agoraphobe, but I, I, I'd i be inside and I'm unbothered in, in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of privilege to being able to do that. But um, I think there's definitely something there and also something to the unimaginability of the scale of audience of a live Oscars show when you have been inside um, and, and kind of being unable to maybe imagine that or understand that or conceive of that as, as well. So our next cringe fire, is there an aspect of sex or sexuality that you would like to see portrayed or better portrayed in the media? And I know... 100%. Yeah, we've we've had discussions, so I know you have some creative thoughts.
0: The portrayal of larger-bodied women, specifically larger-bodied black women, and how they're perceived and how they're portrayed and how they're received in all forms of of culture is something I deeply wish could be better. I especially if we want to also tease this out like I in the line of like black women assuming that we're supposed to just take indignities and disrespect Lizzo has a great show that's premiering um and I love Lizzo I'm so I'm so happy she is doing what she's doing out here and I think about the last time she was promoting her show her 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 last record and how Jillian Michaels came for her and on on a TV morning show calling her all kinds of... What? How did I miss this? Oh, she body shamed her terribly. And also Jillian Michaels is a white woman who is the white mother of an adopted black daughter. And like, she's just said ugly things. And it was December of 2020. or No, no, no. 2019. December of 2019. um, When all of this, it was a big moment. And I... So, and Lizzo put out a statement saying, You know, I did nothing wrong. I am here to exist. I have every right to. And the fact that she had to put out a statement to remind people that she's allowed to ex- exist and be seen as a larger, beautiful body black woman is so upsetting to me as I myself, a larger body black woman, you know?
2: That is wild. And I hope Lizzo's newly launched shapewear line, I hope that. It- her best revenge is her shapewear. And that's ridiculous
0: when we think about sex and sexuality in larger body black women, the fact that like, Lizzo is the only positive portrayal I can even think of off the top of my head is really sad,
2: yeah. And what she's had to endure mm-hmm. to your point, simply to do her thing in that way. and it shouldn't even be even talked about in the ways that it is. so
1: ridiculous but that's a good a good segue to our final cringe watchers uh rapid fire cringe fire question which is what is your favorite sex scene or a scene depicting sex or sexuality it could be film tv literature
0: you know what's funny is um i connect joy with sex and like and so it's like not really it's like when i see black women fully in their joy i'm like that's a sex like that is that's not, like like <laughs> fully just like in so it's, you know, and so the scenes that I'm thinking of, I can't think of it like I can't name a movie or 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 a film. I think of like, but they're usually like the closing scenes of like everyone around a table laughing
1: mm. or like
0: people snuggled up on the couch with a blanket and they just look cozy. Um, like those are, I was like, yes, like I want to, I want to relax into that. It, it, everything, I mean, I hate to say, like, it makes me feel like it's an exhale because waiting to exhale was very stressful. It was a very stressful film. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> You're actually opposite. waiting to exhale. <laughs>
0: it's the opposite. But like when you experience an exhale, for me, it's like beautiful people around a dinner table or like hosed up on a couch together.
2: I love that. The first thing I thought of was the this final season of Insecure and the the episode where all like the four friends were just having a girls night and they were like, we got to make our reservation. And then they just decided not to and stayed the fuck in. And I felt that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. Sabrina, you are a dream. We love you. I um, pinch dream your cheeks.
1: <laughs> this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for, for jumping in and, and for sharing this wisdom and a much more nuanced take than what we are being fucking bombarded with yeah. through social media and media.
0: I'm here for the takes. I'm here for your takes. I'm a proud Patreon supporter.
1: Hey! Yay! So- hey! <laughs>
2: And that's our show for today. Thank you so much to our guest Sabrina Hersey Isa. She's amazing. You can learn more about her work on Twitter at beingbrina Brina, B-R-I-N-A, or www.beingbrina.com. Our editor is Karen Y. Chan. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art.
1: DL Dallas Angram created our theme song. Our ad music is by Siddhartha Corsis. You can find DL on SoundCloud and Siddhartha on Bandcamp. And take our survey. There's a link in the show notes and you can have a chance to win a mug. Also, we are officially finally off of Spotify, but tell your friends that they can find us on Stitcher, Acast, Google, Apple, iHeart, or SoundCloud.